Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to our third season of the Essential Antitrust Podcast. Now, New Year is a moment when we look ahead and make plans for what we expect to face in the coming months. Though by 2022, I think we now know better than we ever did that we also need to be ready to adapt when things don't go exactly as expected. It's become a tradition for the Essential Antitrust Podcast that we kick off each new season by looking ahead to the coming year and to the antitrust developments that we expect will shape business and markets. In previous years, we have predicted some of the key trends that continue to define the antitrust landscape, like the impact that sustainability concerns and digitization of business and society have had on competition policy and enforcement. We examine the trends that we see coming for 2022 in more detail in our 12th annual 10 Key Themes publication, which was released on January 14th. Now, as many of you will know, 10 Key Themes is an annual publication where we look forward to predict the competition trends that we expect to define the coming year. The report draws on insights from our colleagues across practice groups and around the globe. And today, I'm fortunate to have three of those colleagues with me to do some crystal ball gazing for 2022. First, we have Thomas Janssens, who's a partner in our Brussels office and is the global head of our antitrust competition and trade practice group. Hi, Thomas. Great to have you back. Hi, Jen. Happy New Year. Then we have Sarah Jensen, who's a counsel in our antitrust group based in London. And Sarah and Thomas also have the distinction of being our first guests to appear on the podcast three times. So great to have you here, Sarah. Thanks, Jen. Great to be here. And finally, I'm happy to have Megan Rissmiller join us, who's a partner in our antitrust group in D.C., And I should say that I am especially happy to have Megan with us today because she's going to be stepping in as the host of Essential Antitrust for the next several months when I go out on maternity leave at the end of the month. So thanks for being here, Megan, and thanks for stepping in for the podcast. Glad to do it. Hi, everyone. So let's get to it, guys. So I'm not going to ask anyone to make any impossible predictions like when the pandemic will end. Uh, Let's stick to the simpler business of predicting antitrust trends. And maybe, Thomas, I'll start with you. You know, thinking about our 10 key themes, for you, what is the standout antitrust trend that you expect will challenge businesses over the next 12 months? Actually, Jen, I was looking back at our predictions for last year, and I think we were right in forecasting the major big picture trends, as well as some important specific developments in antitrust enforcement. The only thing I wasn't frankly expecting was that I would still sit here in my home office doing this podcast. But anyway, for this year, I think the challenges for business are again multiple and diverse, as our 10 key themes show. But many have one common origin, which is the building pressure for antitrust to grow beyond its traditional focus on consumer welfare, not only to shake up markets perceived as needing this, but also to contribute to solving various broader societal ills. So a lot of ask of antitrust. Several factors drive this pressure. First, the sense with the general public that traditional market structures are failing to protect consumers, whether we're talking about increasingly polarized politics or a dissatisfaction generally with the status quo. Unfair wealth distribution, climate change, perceived increase in market concentration, and so on. Second, there is the fast-paced digital economy and digital transformation of traditional businesses. All of that raises both new antitrust concerns and also old concerns, but in newly acute forms. Finally, of course, the pandemic. The pandemic drives a need for resilience. Businesses are required to strengthen their supply chains. And states 
on their side are focused on protecting domestic industries and consumers. So you've got a lot of dynamics going on all at the same time. And as a consequence, businesses face, first of all, an expanding antitrust net. Antitrust has never before captured such a wide range of transactions and conduct by businesses. Businesses also face increasingly active policing of digital markets and markets more generally. They're really collectively under the antitrust spotlight. And they need to take into account a growing focus on protection of certain sectors. And in particular, a close focus on innovation and potential disruptors. So the main challenges for businesses in 2022 will be to keep up with all these developments and to integrate them into their commercial strategies. Well, Thomas, this absolutely reflects the antitrust mood in the U.S. We're seeing a wide range of both transactions and conduct under scrutiny, and we expect to see those to continue to be under scrutiny as we proceed through the continued years of uh, the Biden administration. This shouldn't come as no surprise. Uh, you know, I think we were predicting what would happen under the Biden administration, and a lot of the things we predicted have actually come to pass. So first, Biden has made a sort of antitrust enforcement a priority of his administration and called for the antitrust laws to be enforced with vigor. He's also issued an executive order calling for a whole-of-government effort to promote competition in the American economy with a strong emphasis on protecting workers, farmers, and small businesses. And finally, he's appointed progressive leaders to the FTC and the DOJ Antitrust Division, both of whom have signaled an eagerness to enforce the antitrust laws more aggressively. And it's really not just an eagerness, it's actions. They've taken actions to that end, which we'll discuss a bit later. And of course, the leaders I'm referring to are Chair Lena Khan at the FTC and Assistant Attorney General Jonathan Cantor. Thanks for that, Megan. And I, I want to, Thomas, pick up on one point that you made. You had mentioned that there's an expanded net that we're seeing in merger control. And I think that includes, as I understand it, not just more merger control regimes, but also an expansion of the scope of existing regimes, including with respect to what theories of harm regulators are looking at. Do you agree with that, that, that we're seeing sort of expansion on all fronts? Absolutely, Jenna, I agree with that. There are plenty of examples of the expanding scope of merger review. There's still actually a growing number at a very basic level of active merger control regimes globally. For example, in Asia-Pacific now, there are 15 such regimes. What we're also seeing is, for example, increasingly active CMA post-Brexit, another prediction of ours for last year, where deals that previously would have been notified just to the European Commission are now facing parallel reviews in the EU and the UK. Our experience from the past year really shows how important it is to really be on top of all of that. Also, in established merger control jurisdictions, companies really need to be ready for scrutiny of a broader range of transactions, including some unpredictable approaches to jurisdiction. What we saw in the past year was, for example, in September 2021, the European Commission opening an investigation into the luminous acquisition of Grail, despite the fact that neither the EU nor any member state's notification thresholds had been met. And likewise, the CMA in the UK has been taking a very broad view of its own jurisdiction. And so I think we can really expect that regulators around the world will maybe 
be inspired by that and push the envelope in terms of the types of deals that they look at. Now, in addition, maybe more on the substance of things, in M&A, you also need to anticipate increasingly novel theories of harm outside of traditional antitrust analysis. We're talking here data power, innovation, sustainability, effects on labor markets, to name just a few. And in particular, issues of nascent and potential competition won't be any longer a secondary consideration as they might have been for a while, but really, uh, I think, a key focus of the substantive uh, analysis. And it's important to stress, I think, that while we may link these developments to tech, they can be seen in quite a wide range of other industries and including some of the most innovative sectors, such as life sciences and healthcare and financial services. For consumers, high rates of innovation may mean new products and services which more than meet their demand. But in the antitrust world, innovation drives uncertainty about future market conditions. And I think what we're seeing is that that uncertainty is not a bar to authorities finding competition problems because of a deal's potential impact on new entrants. And we're seeing the onus being placed more and more on merging parties to produce evidence that disproves those concerns. And that can be challenging. And as as Thomas just mentioned, the UK's Competition and Markets Authority has had its first year as a standalone authority outside the EU. And its record over the last year has really underlined its reputation today as one of the most assertive enforcers internationally. In fact, its most recent statistics show that roughly a quarter of mergers investigated by the CMA either result in remedies as a condition to phase one clearance or an in-depth and increasingly lengthy phase two investigation. And in terms of the parallel reviews, which Thomas mentioned, by the European Commission and the CMA, before Brexit, the CMA had estimated that it would have an extra 50 cases a year to review. Now, that number has not yet materialised. We've actually seen 13 parallel reviews launched so far, but these are not straightforward cases. Of the 13, five are or were subject to an in-depth phase two review by one or both authorities, and two have involved phase one remedies. Now, almost 50% of those cases, that's a pretty high rate of intervention. And looking ahead this year, I think we can expect these trends to continue. And in fact, the UK government is currently considering a set of proposals which will actually bolster the CMA's already expansive jurisdictional powers to review deals which do not involve any obvious direct competitive overlap. And the outcome of that review, possibly in the next few months, should be on the watch list for companies across all sectors. Thanks, Sarah. And, you know, Megan, I mean, I think it's fair to say we're seeing something very similar in the U.S. where all those Biden nominees that you mentioned earlier are really shaking up the merger review process. Yeah, that's right, Jen. For example, the FTC has announced and taken actions that it would significantly broaden its merger investigations to consider a much wider range of potential harms. So things like impact on labor markets, They've also made it clear that parties entering into consent agreements may be required to seek prior approval for any future transactions affecting a relevant market, even if HSR thresholds aren't met. They've filed suit to block NVIDIA's proposed $40 billion acquisition of ARM, the second vertical transaction challenged by the Biden administration in less than a year. 
the point being there that vertical transactions have historically not raised significant issues to face challenge in court. At the DOJ, we've seen a challenge of Penguin Random House's acquisition of rival publisher Simon & Schuster based on a novel labor monopsony theory that the transaction would harm authors. And aside from these public indications of aggressive enforcement, there have been a number of other policy and process changes that have had an impact too. So for instance, often aspects of responding to second requests. Now the FTC is being much more stringent on the things that they're requiring to respond, being less willing to give modifications, and a number of other things that are more resulting from process changes that can also have an impact on a transaction as well. We also shouldn't forget all of those legislative proposals that are kicking around Congress, including a proposal to shift the burden of proof to the parties to show that their merger is not anti-competitive. It's not clear if anything like this will actually pass, but it does show the general tenor of the discussions in the U.S. So I think, you know, listening to the three of you, I think there's no denying that there's a very similar activist trend across all these Western jurisdictions. And maybe it's worth noting that this isn't something that's confined to the EU and the UK and the US. This is the case in China too, for example, where the Chinese competition authority, Samer, made headlines recently with a high profile prohibition of a transaction in the internet sector. So we're really seeing these activist streaks pop up all over the globe. But maybe, you know, let's turn to types of transaction review other than merger review. And in particular, the rapid proliferation of foreign direct investment regimes that we've continued to see around the world. And I think, you know, Thomas, this must continue to be a major focus for a lot of deals in 2022, right? Yeah, absolutely right. Coordination of foreign direct investment reviews and often multiple reviews alongside multi-jurisdictional merger control is becoming more and more important. And it's important there also to know that these new regimes can even pop up during the timeline of the process. So it's very important to stay on top of this and really follow it very closely. And then add to this in the near future, the EU foreign subsidy regulation, which will introduce new rules on subsidies coming from foreign governments. And then similar proposals also in the UK. Yeah, and the U.S. CFIUS regime is a good example of the challenges of foreign investment review. And it's been in place for much longer than a lot of the new FDI regimes. CFIUS currently is highly active. It applies particular scrutiny to Chinese investments, including calling in deals post-closing and considering risks that principally arise from non-U.S. activities for non-Chinese investors CFIUS's China concerns can still impact a deal if the investor has significant connections to China. But I don't think we should say that CFIUS only cares about China as a concern. I think CFIUS is certainly looking beyond traditional concerns about China. Other jurisdictions can, or other countries can have, can raise CFIUS concerns as well. You know, and a lot of these deal-related developments that we've talked about are more regulatory or, or policy of the of the competition enforcers. Megan, you had mentioned earlier that in the US, at least, we're seeing a lot of new competition legislation kicking around as well. And Sarah, I'm curious, is that same thing happening in other jurisdictions? Are we seeing other countries that are looking to tackle this through legislative reform too? 
Yes, we are. I mean, we're actually seeing quite a wave of uh, new legislative proposals and tools which are, are really designed to enable the authorities to intervene more actively in particular areas in relation to particular conduct or, or particular sectors. I mean, some examples, I mean, many authorities are really thinking hard about whether they need to flex their rules to allow companies to either merge or collaborate uh, to meet environmental goals or conversely, to stop deals or conduct, which might hinder green innovation. And we've mentioned new rules and regulations which are being introduced for digital businesses. Uh, I mean, just to cite one example there, um, this year, the EU Digital Markets Act is expected to be agreed, establishing certain obligations for so-called online gatekeepers. And authorities are also looking at what they can do or or should do to reinvigorate cartel enforcement, I mean, one of the proposals being considered by several authorities in the EU and the UK is whether first-in leniency applicants should be granted immunity from civil damages claims in the courts. Uh, That's that's quite a stretch from the current regime. And also in in China, the second draft amendment to the anti-monopoly law will include guidance on anti-competitive conduct, reflecting a firmer stance there on enforcement. And Sarah, just picking up on one point you made, I mean, I think we're of course, hearing all over the place that legislators are really active in and focused on the digital sphere and making sure that that competition regulators have the tools in place to regulate digital businesses. It seems to be the case that in 2022, that part of the antitrust and regulatory toolkit will certainly expand. Thomas, I wonder, can you give some examples of what you're seeing in this specific sector? I mean, the kinds of legislation we are seeing are very diverse. Uh, in some cases, it, I mean, it's about amending or extending existing antitrust regimes. And, well, for example, in the UK, with the proposed lowering of the threshold for a phase two review for deals involving digital companies designated uh, with strategic market status. But in other cases, we're talking about completely new tools being introduced. And these will interact with traditional antitrust enforcement. Just to give some examples, in Germany, already special competition rules for digital platform companies with uh, overwhelming importance for competition across multiple markets. That's a long definition, but those kind of uh, rules are being introduced. And and in the EU, there's, of course, the proposed Digital Markets Act, uh, the DMA, which will set out rules for gatekeepers uh, intended to deal with uh, abuse of uh, market power. And and we will see that come into sort of final legislation uh, soon. Yes, and I think an additional complexity in the digital sphere, uh, which companies across more sectors are likely to experience before too long, comes from the fact that many of these initiatives combine uh, multiple legal systems with different underlying principles and goals. Uh, I'm thinking like antitrust, data privacy and consumer protection, for example. I mean, the proposed EU DMA includes consent requirements which prohibit designated digital gatekeepers from combining personal data obtained from their core platform services with personal data from other services offered by the gatekeeper or with personal data from third-party services. In the UK, the government's proposed powers for the newly established Digital Markets Unit um, include a focus on open choices, fair trading and trust and transparency for consumers – with an ability for the DMU to impose measures on businesses requiring enhanced consumer choice. 
Thanks, Thomas and Sarah. We have talked a lot at this point about the transactional side of things, but Megan, if we look at cartel enforcement, are there areas there where you are expecting we'll see particular enforcement focus in 2022? Yeah, sure, Jen. I do think we will see an area um, of particular enforcement in labor markets. So increased scrutiny of compensation and hiring practice. For example, the DOJ successfully defended its first criminal wage price-fixing case against a motion to dismiss. Likewise, no poach agreements are in the spotlight, especially with the DOJ's criminal indictment of six executives and managers from Raytheon and other aerospace firms in December 2021. And in the EU, Commissioner Vestire recently highlighted this as an area to receive more attention in Europe, too. Yeah, absolutely, Megan. And I think more broadly on cartel enforcement, I think also uh, in Europe and indeed around the world, I think cartel enforcement is likely to be back from a period of lower enforcement or at least lower visible uh, enforcement. We've seen dawn rates already happening, for example, around uh, Europe. And uh, likewise, I mean, it's always a little bit more difficult to comment uh, on this but certainly we are seeing more activity in this space. And I think what will be really um, interesting to see is to what extent you will start seeing sort of uh, enforcers around the globe to coordinate uh, their cases of the, the big global cartel cases, of which we, we haven't seen many for a while, see those uh, coming uh, back again. So watch this space, I would say. Well, to wrap things up, um, maybe one final question to pose to each of you. And Megan, I'm going to go to you first. What is your top antitrust tip for 2022? Well, it's not a new tip, but it's certainly more important than ever, given what we've discussed today about the assertive antitrust agendas of all of the enforcers globally and an expectation of increased interagency cooperation is really proper international coordination by the parties themselves. So with a lot of thought to strategy around how to sequence filings and ensure a consistent message to all agencies in both deals and conduct cases. And Sarah, how about you? Well, I think with many of the changes that we've uh, we've outlined uh, that we're seeing in merger and foreign investment reviews, uh, I think we can expect deal investigations to get longer and less certain as enforcers continue to explore an ever-broadening set of issues. So I'd say uh, identify those issues and all the relevant regulators and other stakeholders early. Uh, make sure all possible outcomes are properly dealt with in the contracts and agree a realistic timeline. And Thomas, how about you? I'll use the opportunity to once again sort of uh, plug the 10 the key themes publication. And, and this year, um, its tagline is, is your business ready for the rapid pace of change? And, and indeed, the, the, the pace of change is uh, rapid. Antitrust really is moving fast. So when engaging in transactions, in collaborations, or planning the launch of a new product, it's important for businesses not to just look at what the law is today, but to be sure that strategy factors in all pipeline legal and regulatory requirements are taken into account, and also that people are ready for an expansive application of antitrust, because I'm pretty certain we're going to see even more of that. Great. Well, thanks very much uh, to all three of you for, for joining today to talk through the 10 key themes and what we expect to see in, in 2022. I think maybe if I can try to sum it up, it sounds like antitrust in 2022 is definitely a change in 
Uh, and keeping up with these developments as they're happening will continue to be crucial. It sounds like we need to look out for heightened scrutiny of certain deals and certain sectors, especially in those industries that are really innovation driven. And it sounds like that also requires a really flexible and global regulatory strategy and deal documentation that caters for different possible outcomes, risk allocation, and has the right mix of provisions to navigate any hurdles that arise. Now, having said that, I think we're also seeing that uh, merger activity levels are really high and companies can successfully navigate these challenges as long as they have the right planning and strategy in place. So throughout 2022, we'll keep a close eye on these developments and more, and we'll be hosting a number of events that explore the shifting antitrust landscape, um, including our Essential Antitrust podcast, which will continue throughout the year. So please don't hesitate to get in touch with one of your regular Freshfields contacts if there are particular topics that you'd like to hear us cover. And so that's me signing off for a while and handing over the reins to Megan on the podcast for the next several months. And we will all see you soon with more Essential Antitrust.